Well, hello, everybody. Glad that you are here with us. If you are new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we are in part two of this series called Say What, where we're exploring some of the commands of God that don't make sense. Commands like when God asks us to love people who are hard to love or forgive people uh, who have hurt us or give of our time, talents, and treasures or don't worry about anything. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading scripture and I come across one of those commands, I pause and say, say what? God, what do you want me to do? Like, that doesn't make sense. You know, the people that you want me to love, like, they're really hard to love. You know, the, the people that you're asking me to forgive, like, don't you know they hurt me? That's why it's really hard to forgive them. And God, when you ask me to give them my time, talents, and treasures, I would love to do that. I'd actually love for you to give me more of those so I could do some of that. That would be great. But there are moments that you ask me to do some pretty crazy things with my time, talents, and treasures. So I'm not so sure I'm excited about that always. And then when you say, don't worry about anything, it makes me wonder if you ever watch the news, God. Like, because all you have to do is flip on the news and find out, like, there's a lot to worry about in our world today. So there are many things that God says in scripture that makes no sense to us. So in this series, we're trying to make sense of some of those most difficult commands from God. So as we begin, I need some help from you. So as we begin today, I want us together to say our series title out loud. And if you're watching online, you can type it in the chat section, okay? So on the count of three, it's pretty simple. We're just gonna say, say what together, all right? So one, two, three. Great job. Great job. Okay. Now we're going to run at it again. And this time, we're going to run at it with a little bit of attitude. You know, like the attitude you had the last time your boss asked you to do something you thought was stupid. You may not have said it to your boss, but in your mind, you're thinking, well, that's stupid. Say what? Like, you're not the boss of me. Well, maybe they are the boss of you, but you're thinking, like, I don't want to do this. So whether you're you know, thinking about a parent telling you to do something, a spouse asking you to do something, a, a boss asking you to do something, you know, there are moments when somebody asks us to do something, and this a little adrenaline flows in our body, and there's this resistance that we have, and then all of a sudden, sometimes it comes out of our mouth before we realize it. Whoop, did I say that? And we say stuff like, say what? Like, what do you want me to do? We say it with spice. So I'd like us all together to say it with a little bit of spice. If you're watching online, you can type it in the chat section with some spice. You know, put some exclamation parts. Be careful with the question marks and all those special characters because we don't want to turn it into a cuss word. We're just, you know, being very dramatic with our statement. All right, so are we ready? You found a little bit of spice in you? Awesome, here we go. On the count of three, one, two, three. Great job, great job. Now, I'm going to ask you to hold on to that attitude today because Jesus has something to say to us about that attitude, and I have that attitude as well. Anybody remember what command we learned last week? Pop quiz. Obedience. Oh, ouch, obedience. Um, obedience is foundational to our relationship with God. It's foundational in this series for every other command that we're going to learn starts with learning to obey. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you obey me. If you'll love me, you'll do what I ask. And that's where many of us say, say what? Like, Jesus, come on. Like, how about do something big for you? Or how about tell a lot of people about you, but obey? Like, wow, that is really hard. 
We found last week that the secret to obedience is found in the S word. It's not the S word you're thinking of. It's a different word. It's the word called surrender. It's where we have to raise our little white flags and say, okay, like I surrender to you. Remember last week I gave you some little white flags and we all waved our flags and said, that's kind of fun until we realized, no, this isn't fun. We don't want to do that. There's areas of our lives we don't want to surrender to God. And yet surrender is the secret to learning obedience. Jesus modeled it beautifully for us. Last week, your homework was to take that home and write out a surrender declaration. And then surrender that thing to God. And maybe you had to do it one time. Maybe you had to do it 10 times this past week. I raised my flag a few more times this past week in areas of surrender that I've needed. So as you struggle, as we struggle with surrender, remember what we learned last week. We learned last week that God said, when we struggle to obey, we should run to God, not away from God. Because when we run to God, we find grace and mercy, and God helps us start over. So if you're in that spot, struggling with surrender, struggling with obedience, keep running to God, who will teach you how to surrender and ultimately how to obey. Today, we're going to learn about one of the biggest commands that Jesus talked a whole lot about. We could summarize all of Jesus' ministry on earth in this one command. And to get to this command, I want us to navigate several interactions that Jesus had with some people who hated him. Uh, actually, they were the religious leaders of his day, which is fascinating to me because you would think any group of people who would love Jesus, you would think it would be the religious leaders. Any group that should be most like him, you would think it would be him, be them. But they hated Jesus because he was a threat to their religious system that they had created and what they were teaching people. So Jesus comes along, and, and they push back against Jesus. They ultimately get Jesus killed. And these two religious groups that hated Jesus were known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they disagreed with each other on many topics of faith, but the one area that they agreed on was their hatred for Jesus and the fact that they wanted Jesus executed. They wanted Jesus out of the way. And when Jesus would teach, often they were in the crowd. Sometimes they would send little spies to go stand in the crowd. Sometimes uh, more high uh, officials would come and stand in the crowd, but they would stand in the crowd and they would often say, like everybody else, say what? Like, what are you teaching, Jesus? We're not teaching everybody that. What are you teaching? And Matthew, one of Jesus' early disciples, actually records several interactions that Jesus had with some of these religious leaders. So we're going to be in Matthew 22, and we're going to start in verse 15. It says this, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to meet with him. Teacher, they said, and watch how they, they set this up with Jesus. They said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. So if you can read through the lines, what are they doing? What are they doing to Jesus? They're setting him up. They're flattering him. So um, you got to be careful sometimes 
when somebody may seem like they're encouraging you, they might just be flattering you. Encouragement is great. We should never push encouragement away. But if you kind of know somebody has ulterior motives, you need to be careful because that flattery could come back to hurt you. Jesus knows that about them. They continue their questioning in verse 17. They say, now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And so they think like we've got him trapped because if Jesus says, no, it's not right to pay taxes, we're going to run and tell the Romans who are our oppressors, we're going to tell them Jesus is telling everybody to break the law. If Jesus says, no, it's not right to pay taxes, we're going to go turn the Jewish people against Jesus. So we've got him trapped. Verse 18 says, but Jesus knew their evil motives. He said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And his reply amazed them, and they went away. Now, Jesus said a whole lot in that one sentence that we're not going to spend a lot of time exploring today. But back in that day, Caesar actually presented himself as God. He said, listen, I'm God. I'm deity. So Jesus says, there's Caesar and there's God, but Caesar's not God. So go ahead and give to Caesar what he thinks belongs to him. But more importantly, give to God what belongs to him. And there's a whole lot in that statement. We're going to explore a little bit of that next week. So after the Pharisees failed to trap Jesus, the Sadducees thought, yeah, this is our turn. Let's give it a try. We're better than the Pharisees are anyway. So in verse 33, it says, that same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. Now, the Sadducees are a really interesting group of religious leaders. And it's hard to understand how they fit in the category of religious leader because here's some of the stuff they don't believe in or didn't believe in. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in eternal punishment or eternal rewards. They thought this life is all you get, period. Live your life. And, and then once it's over, it's over. So again, they're an interesting religious group, but they wielded a lot of power. And so they approach Jesus with this question in verse 24. They say, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow, but the second brother also died, and the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Now, um, you know when somebody says there are no such thing as stupid questions? <laughs> That's not true, because this is an example of a stupid question. All right, so again, step back and understand the context. They hate Jesus. They're trying to trap him. They don't believe what they're even asking. So they've come up with this very confusing scenario for Jesus, thinking, well, he's not going to be able to answer this, and they're going to be able to use this against him. But again, Jesus knows what they're doing. Verse 29, he says, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. Now, who's Jesus talking to? Religious leaders. 
So he's calling their education and their interpretation of scripture into question. I just love watching Jesus interact with people who think they are something that they're not really. So Jesus calls them out on that. He says, you think you know a lot, but you really don't know much about scripture. You don't know the power of God. Uh, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. So if you've ever wondered, will they, there be marriage in heaven? Jesus answers that. He says, no, there's not going to be marriage in heaven. For some of you, you're grateful about that right now. You're thinking like, well, I can't wait. Others of you, you're kind of sad about that. But it'll really be OK, because Jesus will take care of us. All right, verse 31, he continues. He says, but now, as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. And when the crowds heard him, they were astonished at his teachings. So the Pharisees failed to trap Jesus. The Sadducees failed to trap Jesus. And the Pharisees didn't learn their lesson in round one. So they thought, let's try it again. So they come back to try to trip up Jesus. So in verse 34, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with this reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law. So we have a lawyer here who tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And everyone listening to Jesus at that moment would have known this answer. This was kind of like asking, what's one plus one in a religious context? This was so elementary. Everybody knew this was Deuteronomy 6.5. Everybody listening to Jesus knew that. And Jesus went on to Quote that verse in verse 37. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And before the lawyer could take that and twist it against Jesus, Jesus says, and a second is equally important, causing everybody there to say, say what? Like, you can't add to the greatest commandment. Only God can do that. And I'm sure there was a big pregnant pause there as Jesus was going, do you get it yet? Do you know who you're talking to? A second command is equally important. He says this in verse 39. So Jesus is saying, like, you can't really do the first commandment unless you do the second commandment. You can't think you've got it all figured out with God unless you're applying the second commandment. So again, he says, a second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus did here was Jesus took Deuteronomy 6.5, which everybody in the Jewish culture knew as the greatest commandment, and he took Leviticus 19.18, and he put them together on the same level, causing everybody listening to him to say, say what? Jesus, like, what are you saying? Are you saying that we can't love God and hate our neighbor? Jesus would say, yep, that's what I'm saying. Like, what are you saying? Like, we can't like go to church and serve and worship and sing praise songs to God and give lots of money and do nice things for little old ladies. Like, are you saying we can't do all that and think we're great with God and not be great with people at home, at work, at school? And Jesus would say, yep, that's what I'm saying. And to drive this point home, 
Jesus said in verse 40, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. If you aren't familiar with the demands of the prophets, they involved 613 commandments. Can you imagine trying to obey 613 commandments to stay in a right relationship with God? I struggle with the 10 commandments. Anybody else? I actually struggle with the two commandments that Jesus just talked about. Anybody else? Yeah. So 613 commandments. So Jesus says, listen, let me boil it all down for you. You know how you can summarize the 613 commandments in two commandments? This, this greatest commandment, love God and love people. 613 can be boiled down to just loving God and loving people. So here's our bottom line thought for today. Our bottom line thought is this. We cannot love God without loving people. We cannot love God without loving people. And we cannot really love people without loving God. So let that sink in for just a moment. That's a big statement. Again, Jesus put two separate commands in the Old Testament together and said they are of equal importance. They're equal. Learning to love God and learning to love people. Then Jesus narrowed it down again with his disciples in John 13, 34, right before his arrest and crucifixion. He said, listen, guys, I'm giving you a new commandment. Here's the new commandment. Love each other. So Jesus said, listen, I'm boiling down 613 down to two. I know sometimes you struggle with two, so I'm boiling it down to one. So just love each other. And just in case you're a little unclear of what it means you should love each other just as I have loved you. So if you need like a real picture, a real definition of what love in action looks like, I want you to think back to all the times that I have loved you. And I'm sure they started thinking back. I'm sure they thought of just a few moments before in this context, Jesus actually washed all of their feet. Uh, we may not think that's a big deal, but that was the role of the lowest servant in the house. And Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll wash your feet. And I want you to go and do the same thing for other people. I'm sure they thought about the many times they saw thousands of people coming to Jesus to be healed and the compassion that he had on them and the love that he poured out on them. And I am certain that after his crucifixion, they thought about how Jesus loved them enough to die on the cross to pay for their sins. So we are to love others just as Jesus has loved us. Now here's where this command gets personal and gets very challenging. If you're a Christ follower, you are commanded to love everyone. Not to just tolerate people, not to judge people, you're commanded to love people just like Jesus has loved you. So you know that, that person in your life that has those very different views about COVID? You know that person? Everybody's got them. 
Right now, we're, you know, there's so much tension between are, are we pro-vaccine, are we anti-vaccine, are we pro-mask, are we anti-mask? I mean, there, there's such a division right now, and people are getting angry with each other over that subject. So you know that person that drives you a little bit crazy on that subject? You're commanded by God to love them. You know that neighbor um, that has those crazy political views that you think, I hope we don't talk about politics today. I hope they don't say something about that. I hope they don't post their sign out in front, their front yard. You know that person? You're not commanded to avoid them. You're commanded to love them. You know that student at school that is now living a very public, different lifestyle than you live? You're commanded by God to love them. And Jesus didn't say we are commanded to agree with everybody to love them. Jesus said you're just commanded to love them. You don't have to agree with people to demonstrate love. I mean, if that was the requirement, Jesus couldn't have loved us. So we're commanded to love everyone. How are you doing? How are you doing? At loving everyone around you. Jesus added in John 13, 35, he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And to understand that, we need to know what else Jesus didn't say. So Jesus didn't say, your political beliefs will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus didn't say, your Bible knowledge will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Again, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who knew a lot about the Bible, but they didn't have any love for the world. Jesus didn't say your judgmentalism will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He said like your love in action will prove that to the world. And then in a different passage in 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love passage, God actually gets really clear about what love should look like. So we're going to walk through this passage. And as we walk through this passage, I'm going to slow way down for us to evaluate our own lives. And again, this passage is known as the love chapter. And uh, if you've ever been to a wedding, most likely you've heard this passage read at a wedding. I read it at most weddings that I do. And yet, this isn't given in the context of marital love. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the people that Paul was writing to, they were arguing with each other over several different topics. And right in the middle of that argument, Paul says, time out, let's talk about how we should interact with each other. And then he gives the love chapter. He says, we're supposed to love each other, not hate each other, not tolerate each other, not manipulate each other. We're really supposed to love each other. So as we read this, let's kind of slow down and let's evaluate. This might be a little painful. It'll be a little painful for me. It might be a little painful for you. So love is patient and love is kind. I don't know if you struggle with that, but I'm not always patient and I'm not always kind. In my relationship with God, I want God to work yesterday. I don't want God to work today or tomorrow. Like, I got a time frame. I got things I want to accomplish in my life. 
And so I'll pray and ask God. And if 30 seconds later, it's not done, I'm like, God, where are you? What are you doing up there? I'm like, come on. You're supposed to be working in my life. So I'm not always that patient. In my relationship with my family, I'm not always that patient. You know, I blew that one yesterday. I blew that one yesterday, too. I wasn't very patient. I wasn't very kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Anybody struggle with jealousy besides me? All right, about five of us. (laughs) Others of us are lying. (laughs) So I struggle with jealousy sometimes. I hate that about me. There are moments that I struggle with jealousy over my pastor friends when God does something great in their lives or God does something great in their church. And I'm, I, I'm excited for them. At the same time, there are moments I'm like, man, what about me? What about us? That's called sin. It's wrong. But I struggle with jealousy sometimes. Sometimes I'm boastful. Sometimes I want to pat myself on the back. Sometimes I hope some, uh, somebody else will pat me on the back. That's wrong too. Love doesn't do that. Love's not proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own way. Wow. There are moments I demand my own way. It's not irritable. Talk to my family about whether I can be irritable or not. (laughs) It keeps no record of being wronged. I'm sad to say there are moments that I record when I've, I've been wronged by somebody. I mean, I don't get a paper and pen out or write anything down, but you know, when I've been hurt by somebody, like I remember that. I remember that pain. And sometimes I interact with them based upon that pain that they've caused me. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't keep a record of when it's been wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. There's a whole lot in that sentence right there. Our our world is wrestling about justice and injustice and what that means. And the thing that's often being left out is truth. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Love rejoices when truth is revealed. And that truth is revealed through Jesus. Love never gives up. Are you ready to give up? Are you struggling in your faith? Are you struggling in a relationship? Are you struggling in your marriage? Are you struggling with one of your kids? Are you struggling at work? Like, are you ready to just give up? Love doesn't do that. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. How's your faith doing? Is your faith growing in these uncertain times? I mean, for everybody, our faith is being stretched And I think God is allowing that stretching so we'll grow stronger faith. But for some of us, we go like, I don't know. I'm kind of losing my faith. Love doesn't lose its faith. Love grows stronger when it's tested. Love is always hopeful. Are you hopeful? Are you hopeless right now? Love is full of hope. It endures through every circumstance. How's your endurance? Relationship with God is more like a marathon than a sprint. It's about a long-term run. I hate running. Anybody else hate running? 
You know, occasionally um, I, I go on long runs. I've run two marathons in my life. Why? Because I got to learn to grow endurance. I don't do it because I like that. I hate that stuff. But we have got to learn how to grow deep in our relationship with God and struggle and testing and challenge and people who are unlovely create opportunities for our love to grow exponentially. So how are you doing at applying the love chapter to your life? I want you to imagine what our world would be like if, if we applied all this. Imagine like, if Christ followers all around the world, if churches all around the world really figured this out. Imagine if epic church figured this out. Imagine if I figured it out. Imagine if you figured it out. Imagine how different your world would be, how different your family could be, how different your job could be, how different our community could be, how different our state or our nation or our world could be if we really applied this. And right now, we have so many opportunities to apply this. I mean, every time you walk out of your door, you have an opportunity. Maybe not just walk out of your door. Maybe it's just get up out of your bed. And you've got an opportunity to apply this and love someone around you who's really hard for you to love. But right now, our world is filled with such hatred and division. That creates an opportunity to apply this and fill it with Christ's love. So in a world filled with hatred and chaos and division, Jesus says, I want you to do one simple yet challenging thing. I want you to love everyone. Don't just love the people that you like. Don't just love the people who think like you, act like you, vote like you. Really learn to love everyone. That's the command that Jesus has given all of us as his followers. So here's my closing challenge for you. This is going to sound a little bit weird. So the challenge is don't run out today and try to love everybody. Okay? Within an hour, you'll quit. You'll say, I can't do this. Like, that person's just a jerk. I can't love them. So yeah, we'll quit. Don't try to love everybody. Just try to love one person this week. So this week, find one person to love, somebody who's in your life on a regular basis. Don't pick somebody you don't interact with on a, you know, very often. Pick somebody you interact with on a regular basis. Pick somebody who's challenging to love. Don't pick somebody who's easy to love, like your grandma who makes you cookies. You know, don't do that, unless she's hard to love. If she's hard to love, maybe you would pick her. So pick somebody who's hard to love, and then ask Jesus this week, Jesus, how do you want me to love them? Not how do I want to love them, but Jesus, how do you want me to love them? And then go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and process Christ's answers for you through 1 Corinthians 13, what love and action should look like. And then whatever Jesus says, do that. That's what we learned last week, obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you do what I ask. And Jesus' greatest commandment was for us to love God and love people and really learn how to love each other. So as our worship team closes us today, we're going to sing kind of an upbeat song. And as we sing this, I encourage you to just start talking to God about that one person and about how you can love like Jesus has loved you. So if you would, let's stand together. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. And then we're going to go out 
and do one of the hardest things for us to do. We're going to go love people. All right, so let's pray. So God, thank you, Jesus, for, for giving us really just one command in Scripture. Sometimes as we read the Bible, there's so many things that are confusing, and, and we wonder, well, how do we apply that, and what does that look like? And I'm not sure really what you mean there, God. And so Jesus, you took all that and you narrowed it down for us. You narrowed it down to two commandments, love God and love people. And then you narrowed it beyond that. You said, just love. If you just focus on love and displaying that, that's a fulfillment of everything that the Bible is all about. All the commands in the Bible can be wrapped up in that one command to love each other. Lord, this is one of the hardest things for us to do. And we all have people in our lives that are hard to love. So Lord, I pray that as we engage this week, we'll pull out our, our little flag that we pulled out last week and would say, I surrender again. I surrender to, to uh, your will for my life. I surrender because I want to obey you and I really want to learn how to love this person. And Lord, I pray that as we're loving this person who's hard to love, that you would teach us what it means for you to love us in the moments that we are hard to love. So Lord, I just pray that this would be a powerful exercise this week of us learning what it means to love others the way that you have loved us. Thanks for loving us. Jesus, thanks for coming to model that for us. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen.